Hey, welcome to, if you've come this far, our podcast where we get to talk to smart, interesting people who help us to do a better job in life. Um, Our guest today uh, is someone that Sean brought to us, who I found fascinating. Um, He's a doctor, Dr. Will Harper. um, And uh, it was everything I had to hang up the call because I had about seven hours more of questions for Will, but it was super, we had a super fascinating conversation. Sean, you know, Will, can, can you tell the listeners uh, more about this fella? Yeah. I mean, Will's a great guy. I think they'll enjoy the conversation. Uh, he is my doctor. Uh, he's been my doctor for three years. He's actually my wife's doctor as well. Um, but Will is, I mean, I think you'll find he's, he's very cerebral. He's, um, leading edge as a, as a doctor, um, undergrad at Georgetown, um, Northwestern medical school. He was at UFC for a long time, uh, has had affiliations with Northwestern as a, as a teacher, as well as the North shore university health system. And the interesting thing we didn't talk about is he was, uh, he has three Stanley cup championship rings because he was, uh, one of the physicians for the Blackhawks during their during their championship uh, run, they stink now, but they were really good um, a few years ago. I meant to ask him about that because I because yeah. he actually gets a ring, doesn't he? I think I, I think everybody gets a ring. I actually oh. have never asked him if he got a ring, but I, that but was I a think question in his I bio it says he has rings. Yeah, oh, damn it. Yeah. Anyway. If it was me, I'd be wearing them. I'd be. Oh, no. Well, hopefully he like- wouldn't wear it. Hopefully he wouldn't wear it during the prostate. <laughs> but, but otherwise, I mean, right. <laughs> uh, yeah. Not only would I wear them, but like on a zoom call, I'd be making a lot of hand gestures too. <laughs> yeah, you know, right. <laughs> so it just gives to show you what kind of guys we are. Right? I know exactly. Yeah. Shallow, yeah. shallow right. sons of guns right here. Yeah. Um, What about, tell say a little bit more. I mean, he talks about this in our conversation about his concierge practice, but um, it's really unique what he's, the way he's approaching um, healthcare. It it was, it was one of the things that, uh, that attracted us to him. So um, he, he has, um, I think he has four offices now, currently three in the Chicago lane area and one down in Florida uh, to come. Um, but he has only a, each doctor has only a, a 200 patient limit. I think he himself is a little bit over that. When um, he says that, you know, on, on average, um, a primary care doctor will have 4,000 patients. So um, very fortunate to be able to get that kind of that kind of attention. Um, and, you know, we're thankful that we can do it. Yeah. Isn't that I mean, it seems like such a simple concept. And, and part of it's sort of the the, the infrastructure of the healthcare system and the way insurance works that prevent doctors from being able to do what he's doing. But, but it doesn't, it just seem like it's so obvious that the key to being a good healthcare provider is knowing your patient. I mean, it's kind of a throwback to the, to the old country, you know, the country doctor, right. I mean, yeah. one that, well, he hasn't made any house calls yet. I mean, he's, you know, he knows, you know, he probably knows every patient by name. Yeah. Um, like that old country doctor would. Yeah. yeah. Pretty, pretty good conversation. Um, I was sort of like, it was really eye opening for me. So I really appreciated you bringing him on the show. So let's get yeah, to and, it. Huh? And, and I would just say that, you know, w- one of the reasons why we did that is, is not only is he an interesting guy, but June is uh, men's health awareness month. And, and well, I don't really subscribe to the whole month day thing. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like every day. I mean, there's like eight so things cynical. that are, I mean, it's just like eight things that this is the month of. This is what um, we need. We need like a national cynics month uh, that you might actually enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> I, just because of men. You <laughs> threw me off. I'm embracing this one. It's also pride month and I'm embracing that too yeah, because yeah, I think, yeah. you know, love is love. And I, I, you know, there's a lot of good, there's a lot of, but did you know that yesterday was national nail polish day? What the fuck is that? That's ridiculous. That's just silly. So, that's a that's a marketing ploy, right? Um, yeah, right. So I don't want to. Yeah. So we're a little bit off track. Will is great. Uh, hope hope everyone enjoys our conversation. Yeah, it's fun. So um, we're al- we're always afraid we'll hit the we'll forget to yeah, hit. Yeah, we'll, so, oh, we'll miss good men. stuff. Um, yeah. So Will meet Chris. Chris meet Will. 
Hey, Will. Thanks for coming on. Sure. Happy to be here. So, yeah, Priscilla just sent me an email saying, oh, do you have a list of questions for Will? I'm like, no, we're just going to have a conversation. He'll be fine. <laughs> no, I sometimes say, uh, well, maybe these people yeah. are really... <laughs> Got to make sure I ask this question. This yep. Question. Yep. No, and I just, right up front, you know, Chris, as I was telling you, Will is my doctor, so HIPAA rules are in effect, uh-huh. right? So... Just not that I would think Will would ever violate now. them, but what's that? <laughs> I'm going to share my screen now of all the photos. <laughs> oh God! So, um, so Will was kind of surprised. So Will was kind of surprised when I asked him to uh, be on the podcast because I explained a little bit about men living and what we're doing, and um, that we wanted him to come and talk with us really kind of about June being men's health awareness month, just kind of have a discussion about men's health and men's health checks and kind of what's happening in evolution of medicine from your perspective. Cause you're, I think you're a great uh, person to talk to because you're doing some pretty innovative things. Um, and so um, I'm glad you could come and hang out with us for, for an hour or so. Sure. I'm a, a baseball fan and uh, San Francisco Giants is my team. And every May they grow mustaches um, in honor of, of, I guess, being men <laughs> this year. <laughs> they, uh, they made it a charity and they donated uh, money to a charity. And June 1st, they shave off their mustaches. Uh, so I don't know why they don't do it in June. It seems like June would be the, uh, the right month to do it. I should, uh, I should you know, let them know. Uh, you got the wrong month, guys. <laughs> well, yeah, I think they're fighting for first place right now, right? I mean, they're not. No, the that was last year. They're, they're, yeah, they're, that was. They have issues this year. As, they do have some issues this year. Not quite as many as some other teams. They're doing all right. They're about five hundred, so we're yeah. happy with that. Well, uh, do you have an excuse for being a a, a Giants fan? <laughs> <laughs> I like wow. winners. <laughs> okay but you're not a bay area native i am i am i grew up out there and uh yeah. uh moved when i was you know a teenager to to college i haven't lived there since but you know you're i was born with you know black and orange blood so um you know listen to ball games on transistor radios when i was growing up and you know even when they're bad you're hoping for that ninth inning homer so uh-huh. yeah i'm uh in my blood it's definitely in my blood. Uh, I love it. Uh, does it, uh, does this make you a Joe Montana fan as well? Absolutely. Joey Mons, we called him, you know, he's uh Mr. Clutch. It was uh, great to grow up with, you know, him. And then after him was Steve Young. So five ridiculous, five, uh, Super Bowls, uh, in, in the eighties. The last one was in 1992. Well, it's been a while since they won the Super Bowl. They've been a few times, but uh, they're due for a victory. They are due. It pains me because two of those, including the one in 92, uh, were against my Cincinnati Bengals. Um, uh, the thing I remember most about that game, I don't know if you remember that game. Do you remember the broken leg? Tim Crumry, the, the nose tackle for the Bengals, broke oh, his Yeah. yeah. Broke his oh, leg, my God. Oh, maybe to this day, the worst sports injury I ever witnessed on TV. Oh, you didn't see the Theismann one then, did you? No, I remember the Theismann one too, because that just snapped, right? Like that was, that was equally bad, but, and very different, but I mean, and this is from a lay person, right? I don't know how you doctors view things, but I was grossed out by both. Yeah. I, I just remember it was just sort of a, it was an awful injury, but that one was, that one was great because, uh, you know, minute and thirty seconds left. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I, yeah, yeah, no, I, yard line. Well, I remember the whole thing. Joe Montana going into the huddle. <laughs> hey, that's John Candy. <laughs> I see the tone we're setting here for this call. Okay. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you, st- I think you started it. Though. I, I think you set the tone. It. Yeah. 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 You did. And right. uh, well, certainly, hey, the Bengals had a great. I was rooting for them. They had a great season. Love their team. You know, it's a uh, good team to root for. So good luck. Yeah. 
not always, but uh, but it's gotten easier recently. That's for sure. Yeah. So, yeah. Um, so maybe a good place to start. I was telling Chris um, about uh, what you've been doing the last few years in creating your practice, um, concierge medicine practice is what I would call it. Um, and he's personally curious about it. And I think it might be good if you if you would just kind of explain a little bit about kind of what you're doing and how you're doing it and why you're doing it. I, you know, I mean, it all starts with our why, right? You know, so, um, you know, I'm really, for a long time, I, I had my feet in a number of different things at the University of Chicago. I was a medical educator on a bunch of committees, and my passion really is to, you know, take care of patients to help them, you know, live their best life. You know, it's really what I think I was put on earth to do um, was to, uh, to really uh, care for patients. And, and so in a traditional healthcare environment, that's very difficult. Um, a lot of pressures on your time. Uh, and when you're in a institution, uh, innovation, creation, development, new programs, uh, it's very difficult. And, you know, so as I envision how to best care for patients, um, you know, I didn't, I just felt like I needed to do it on my own, <laughs> you know, sort of create a, a system. If you can't, you know, sort of fix a system, you sort of sometimes have to create a new system. Uh, so I founded my practice five, almost six years ago now. And, um, and it was really around what's, when I think of how best to care for people, uh, what are the, well, how do you do it? Well, you won't need to know about the patient and do as much as you can about them. What data is important uh, to gather about people uh, and then how do you create a support system, support system around you and them in order for them to maximize uh, the, the data, the information about the individual. So, you know, annual physical isn't just waving a stethoscope over someone. There's a lot of data we get, a lot of tests that we do. Um, and then it's about setting goals. I just finished up with a conversation with somebody, weighs 225 pounds. He wants to get down to 200. How can I support you in that? You know, what what tools do we have that I can support you with? Um, so it, it's always about innovation, about trying to find new things, new tools, new data gathering information. What more can we learn about and get in order to help people be the best version of themselves they can be? Now, it just so happens that insurance doesn't pay for a lot of that stuff. <laughs> you know, it doesn't pay for my time, doesn't pay for, you know, a three, four hour physical. Um, so we have a, sort of a membership model where you pay a membership fee and that helps, you know, fund the resources that are necessary in order to achieve the outcomes we're looking for, which is, you know, helping people. So that's, that's what we do. So currently, so, so in that model as well, you um, are limiting the, the number of patients that you see, right. And, and you have yeah. uh, multiple offices currently around Chicago land and, and we'll soon be yeah. expanding. Well, I don't know if I, if I can reveal soon to be uh, establishing an office outside of Chicago land. Mm -hmm. Um, But, but what's your, what's your, um, what's your approach to number of of patients and clients that you'll see? Yeah. But, you know, we top out, I mean, I've got more than this, but each doctor is worth topping out about 200 patients. Um, And, a typical primary care doctor might have 20 times that many. Mm. Uh, so 4,000. Um, so, um, so 200 patients. So that gives you uh, the amount of time you need to spend with them to get to know them. It also gives you time in your day to actually call patients. You might actually get a call from your doctor during the day, as opposed to at 8 PM. <laughs> so, um, and it gives doctors time to, when you have complex patients, uh, a lot of times you need to read and understand what's going on. And instead of doing it when all your paperwork's done at 10 p.m., you're actually doing it when your brain is fresh uh, during the day. So, um, so in this model, it actually helps doctors, you know, be the best doctors they can be in addition to helping patients be the best people they can be. So, so Will, um, it sounds like you should apply for nonprofit status almost. Uh, I mean, I, I'm joking, of course, but but th- 
is it fair to infer that your profit margins are are, are less than than a, a traditional pr- uh, practice? Well, it depends on your fee. <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> you know, right? So, <laughs> Sean shaking um, his head. <laughs> yeah, uh, I, I guess let's just say this: when it comes to you know the profit approach to traditional healthcare is a churn, right? You, you, you know, you, you reap what you sow, um, right. you eat what you kill. So, and the doctors tend to not, in an employed model, don't tend to get a lot of benefit from that churn. It's, it's really the, uh, the upstream. So, um, you know, so I actually honestly don't know what the profit margin is of that model, right? Mm-hmm. Because it's insurance. There's so many different mm-hmm. <laughs> variables and, and, uh, obfuscations that make that that uh, the science of healthcare, the, the finances of healthcare are so obscure and, and difficult. Um, mine is actually pretty easy. You pay an annual fee. You know, we have our expenses, which are doctor and and uh, and real estate primarily, our leases, um, but there's equipment and all that. So so we're actually doing fine. I mean, I, it, but I'm funneling everything back into the business. You know, I pay my doctors uh, a good salary. Um, um, but we're not, you know, we're not buying Maseratis over here. Um, so yeah, I mean, I think it's a it's a really good business model. It's it's profitable, um, you know. But I think in a way, it's you know, I pay my staff well, I pay my doctors well, patients. I think get really good care. I think it's a win 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 all yeah. around. Mm-hmm. So, so, um, and I'm asking these questions genuinely out of self-interest. Um, I sure. actually like, like my doctor course. right now, but, but, uh, but I, I, for a long time, I struggled to find a doctor who I f- thought really basically was paying attention to my data, right? Like, um, right. It's like you said, you can actually look at patient data when you're awake and in the workday, et cetera. And sometimes I feel like once I walked out of the office, the file got closed and they'd look at it the next time I came in, but, <clears throat> and this is not a promotional video or anything like that, but like for someone like me, the investment decision is I'm going to pay more out of pocket primarily for the membership. And I would do that because why? Well, what do you invest in your health? You know, we invest money in all these different areas, right? Um, you know, from our cell phone to our video games, to our cable, to our, you know, Netflix, to all this stuff. Uh, What do you invest on your health? And what we aim to do, as I said, is is help each individual person achieve their best self, like whatever their, their goals are. And so it isn't about a reactive approach to medicine where, um, you know, I'm here if you need me, because we are. Yeah. It's, Hey, you told me that you wanted to do this. <laughs> Are you actually doing it? Hey, it's been three months since who did that check? Like, you know, so we're not putting your chart away. We actually have systems in place to remind us, hey, you know, Sean's got to get this. We we need to reach out to him and, and check in. Um, and, you know, our staff is, you know, you know what it's like. You, you leave the doctor's office and someone hands you a sheet. It's like, oh, you need to set up an appointment with so-and-so. Well, that's Patty. Patty's going to, Patty's going to get that appointment and she's going to schedule it. Um, uh, you know, I had a patient walked into my office on a, on Tuesday. He's having a flare of his psoriatic arthritis. Uh, he has his rheumatologist, a specialist, you know, retired. The one he has, he doesn't like. And he's like, can you help me? So, well, of course, you know, And he, today's Thursday, he saw the rheumatologist today um, because Janet, my medical assistant, called the office, told the doctor what's going on. We have a relationship with the rheumatologist and the patient got seen two days later. Mm-hmm. And I got a call from the doctor. We chatted about the patient today. So that is also a value add that you will not get pretty much from any uh, traditional doctor's office. Yeah, it's uh, it sounds like it sounds like you're offering doctor service, health coach ex- uh, coaching service, accountability partner service, which 
no one needs fucking accountability hoisted on them more than grown men, right? Especially when it comes to their health. <laughs> right, right. Well, I just heard a stat on the radio today. Um, uh, 65% of men believe that they're way more healthier than they really are. <laughs> Shocker. They believe they're supermen. Yeah. You know, yeah. They don't need to go to the doctor because, hey, I'm good. Yeah. I'm good. You know, so the uh, mirrors in their house. Um, but um, <laughs> so, well, but and yeah. I just want to, re- and I, and I just want to uh, put an exclamation point on the fact that, that again, not only do we get Will, but we get Will's network. And, and that's a lot. I mean, to his point is, you know, if you, if you need something, you know, the audiologist, he's got a relationship with audiologist and, and that's going to matter if I need, you know, when I needed to go to the audiologist. And so that, ne- you know, that network beyond him is, is pretty vast as well. Yeah. Yeah, I, it, yeah, and it's like that. You're not looking at a Google, um, a Google review to decide who the specialist is. You say, Hey, well, who do I, who do I go to? And so, yeah, so we, we got our, this is Chicago. We got our guy. Yeah. Right. Um, so, so let, let's talk about guys then. Cause you kind of, both you and Chris introduced it. So, you know, again, from my perspective, I would say that healthcare is healthcare. Um, it doesn't necessarily need to be gendered, but there's, I think certain things about men or women that make it different. And, and so I guess from your experiences, I mean, you say that, you know, 65% of men think they're healthier than they are. Um, what is you, what do you see as the, as the, the challenges for men in particular to be healthy? Well, I do think that there's, you know, as men get older, you know, what, what do we talk about? Right. You know, prostate, right. That's a big concern that a lot of men have. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, that movie, um, you know, uh, Chevy Chase, Fletch, you know, oh, yeah. rivers, you know, that whole, thing. Oh yeah. Yeah. yeah, when, yeah. Whole fist. So yeah. that's a, that's <laughs> a big, big fear, you know, just like men don't, that they don't want to do it. They, they go in the doctor's office. There's uh, I think a little bit of trepidation about what's going to happen when they go there. Um, you know, yeah, I'm feeling fine. Or why do I need to go? You know? Um, and I think part of that is, you know, I don't want, they may not want to get done what, recommended to get done and that might include a, a colonoscopy you know with the camera up your butt and stuff like that so i think that's a, that's a barrier you know you think you're fine you know i'm, I'm doing all right yeah i really don't want to yeah doctors probably going to do that and subconsciously you say okay i can put it i can push it off i can i can wait you know so i think that's a, one of the barriers to to getting uh, men in and women it's different they start in their 20s with you know, pap smears and, mm. you know, in their forties with mammograms and, you know, some of the stuff that, mm. you know, and they have women have babies and, you know, in delivery rooms with all sorts of people kind of looking at the private areas, you know, that men sure. don't sure. ever experience that kind of stuff. The women I think are more generally more comfortable with, with, you know, being ev- evaluated, being assessed, being examined. Um, and, probably have more honor and respect for their body than men do. You know, it's like, Mm. I'm fine. I'll be all right. Uh, So I think there's a cultural issue with that, that gets in the way of men, um, men going to see a doctor. It's unfortunate. Mm. I'm guessing that, that most of your male patients have sort of self-selected into your practice because they're among the more accountable, but there still is that sort of gender difference. Have you have you found a different sort of like skill set or approach to your male patients than, than you take to your, to your female patients? Well, I designed the practice in a way to almost appeal to men like data, like a lot of men are oh, data right. people, right? right? Information, you know, it's like even like, you know, construction workers, you know, how big is this company? What's the data, you know? So it's it, a lot of men are data focused. So, practices, data, information. Here's a number. You like that number? We got to improve that number. So, and that's part of our, 
you know, our growth is how do we even quantify that even better? Because men tend to be competitive, you know, and if you give them data, give them numbers, like, ah, I don't like that number. Oh, I'm average. I'm not average. I'm great. <laughs> well, let's make that number great. So, so, uh, so that's, that's, uh, you know, saying women, I don't think need that as much, you know, but uh, it does appeal. I think, you know, the data that we have does appeal to folks, you know, since information is useful. Um, and in a traditional practice, what, what are the numbers that you tend to get? You might get a cholesterol number. You might get a blood pressure number. You get some, um, you know, so, uh, but that, uh, I, I think from a gender perspective, and again, we're kind of generalizing and sure. I, I think people are people and, um, but, you know, from, from a male perspective, uh, if you make it competitive, you know, a lot of times they'll buy in. I love it. You're gamifying, uh, personal healthcare. <laughs> That's, there's something to that. Um, it's, it's, uh, I'm reminded Sean of, of a, of a recent conversation we had with, with Dr. Greif about, uh, friendships and about the Dunbar number. I don't know if you remember this, but there's sure. this, this notion in, in personal human relationships that you can only really have like 150 associates. And, um, I, and this is not a question, Will, but, but when you mentioned that a traditional do, uh, primary care physician might have, I think the numbers that you suggest was 4,000 patients. Like you can't, you can't, it's, it's hard enough to know 200. You're on the outer limits of the Dunbar number sort of approach. So um, I just appreciate you. Um, I appreciate the approach. I'll be calling you tomorrow to try to get in there, but, um, but it's really cool right. what you're doing. Well, you're a date, you're yeah, a data nerd it. and, 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 you know, and competitive, the, the like readout, a, like a the, re, the readout that we have, you'd be, yeah. It would be a long meeting, Will. I'm just telling you, you'd want to go through every number in, <laughs> de- like, in detail. You'd be like, oh, holy shit, what did you do to me? Yeah, introducing like, me to Chris. Yeah, where's Sean on this on this metric? Yeah. I want to beat Sean at this. Yeah. Hip-hop, oh, here's hip-hop. a funny story. Back a few years ago, I, I saw this guy, and you know, we, we do a fitness assessment in our practice, but previously it was a stress test. And <clears throat> so it was used on the treadmill. And this guy came back after his treadmill and he looked like death warmed over. I and mean, he was just I was like, Oh my God, like what happened? Well, you know, Dave last week did this test and he told me he, you know, went <laughs> 19 minutes. And, uh, and so I had to beat him. And so I went, you know, I went 1930. I said, he's, he lied to you. He didn't do my <laughs> <laughs> And I was, it was breaking HIPAA, but it was, it was pretty funny because I knew they were very close friends. And, yes, uh, so he's right. maybe 12 or 13, but you know, he lied and made his friends kill himself because he knew he was going to be so competitive that he was going to try and beat him. So he, <laughs> he almost killed him, it turns out. <laughs> that's funny they're still friends they are still okay good that's good (laughs) what so what do you what are you when you know when you're doing a health check for a guy i mean what you talk about you know prostate what are the what are the other things that are kind of critical that you're looking at to say okay how's this guy doing you know you know there are some things that are, are kind of gender specific and you know no prostate being one of them. Uh, are there a lot of other things that are specifically gender related, you know, probably more women related things like mammograms and pap smears than there are men. Um, but the, the, uh, and you mentioned it earlier, Chris, like the idea of a coach, the idea is for when I see an individual and it's probably more challenging for men than women, again, generally it's that accountability piece, right? You own your health. Like mm-hmm. you can come to me, you know, I'm not a mechanic that's going to fix, uh, fix your leaky, you know, valve or whatever. Like when it comes to health, health isn't a one day experience. You know, health is something that you build every day. That's in all the choices that we make, what we eat, how we move, whether we walk, whether we run, what we do. Health is that. And getting somebody to engage in that and just to own it and say, yeah, this is important to me. Sometimes it's the data, you know, sometimes it's a symptom. Sometimes it's, you know, it's just grabbing people off and saying, dude, yeah. you've really got to do something. 
Um, but it's that I think for men, it's a little more work uh, to get them to become accountable to uh, to themselves and to their health mm-hmm. and to build that, um, to build the the you know the the daily habits that will help them be the person that they really think they you know need to be and they want to be. Uh, they just sometimes need to be awakened into that accountability. I want to ask you a, a question that's kind of off the wall here. Um, on, and this is based on anecdotal evidence. But, but in the recent weeks, I've had three friends who have gotten good news about their beating back cancer. Um, so again, this is not this is a small data set. But do you? Um, what is your attitude toward? And of course, there's different types of cancer. Blah blah blah. But but right. are you more optimistic um, these days about our ability to to win those battles with cancer? Interesting you, you say that. You know, I, there's two parts to that battle. Okay, one one battle is well, actually three. One is preventing cancer in the first place. Mm-hmm. Right. So we we be, behave in particular ways that promote cancer. You know. So cigarette smoking being the classic worst thing one could ever do for their health. The almost every pancreatic cancer comes out of uh, a smoker. You know, the cancer smoking has some relationship to pancreas cancer. And there's exceptions to, the, to every rule. So it just gives you one example. Prevent it in the first place. Second is find it early. Find it when it's in a curable stage. And the third is, what you're talking about, you know, treatments and advances in therapies and all that kind of stuff. When it comes to advanced cancer, how do they define a win? They define a win by extending someone's life by six months, by a year, mm-hmm. you know, in advance, certain, most of advanced cancers, that's a win for them. Cures come at earlier stages, stage one, stage two, that's when you get the cures. We are able to find cancers early in very few cancers in cancer maybe oral cancer, and then mammograms, pap smears, colon cancer screening, prostate cancer screening, where we can find it at an earlier stage where it is curable. However, 70% of cancers that people die from are in cancers that we're not looking for. 70% of cancers that, we, that people die from are in cancers that we're not looking for. So that first one, or the second one, finding cancers early, we need to do better with that. Mm. Okay. We certainly need to do better with one prevention, but we need yeah. to do better with number two, which is finding it early. And our, our practice a year ago implemented a, a novel test, liquid biopsy, multi-cancer early detection test um, that was rolled out by a California based company uh, called Grail. It looks for cancer DNA in the bloodstream Um and uh, it's going to be the future of, of cancer screening, you know, over the next five to 10 years, you'll probably see this is, you know, we screen now instead of for five different cancers, we'll screen for 50 different cancers through a blood test that we get every year. That's the future. It's something that our practice has employed uh, in the past year. And we've done with about 250 people um, and found um, uh, two cancers, uh, one of them, um, breast cancer that probably would have shortened somebody's life. So mm-hmm. that's that's the that's the future. But um, but you're right that there are on that third uh, component the treatments. You know immunotherapies. You know novel chemotherapies. Um, that the research that goes into cancer treatment is is uh, is incredible. It's exciting. Um, but that's not what I do. I do one and two. Yeah, you know, right. That, that's right. really that's really what I'm all about. Right. That's funny. Uh, so my dad died in '06 of colon cancer, and I think the first time he went to even mention it to a doctor was after 12 months of suffering symptoms. You know, mm. uh, again, yeah. adult male problems, right? Um, uh, but that's really interesting. I got to tell you that test you talk about sounds like some Therano shit. There, you know, in, in terms of here's something that can do so yeah, much, right? but it's amazing. Right. I've not heard of that. Yeah, well, Theranos so, was just just for the record. Theranos yeah. was fake. So <laughs> I know, I, take, I know, I know. I've, t- I've taken this blood right. test. I'm one of the 250, and it was interesting yeah. as we went through it, and and Will was introducing it. Um, 
Well, almost, almost from the standpoint of you want to know, but don't, you don't want to know, yeah, right? Because there's, yeah. there's some misinformation that can come out of it. And are you willing to go through that? And um, I mean, personally, I was giddy up. I mean, let's go and, and, you know, if there's some information that comes through that we need to work through, we'll just work through it. But um, right. yeah, I mean, the ability, the, the, the technology, right. Will is only going to get, get better. It's, it's only getting better. And I'll, I can try and explain the technology uh, real quickly. When a, when a cell becomes cancerous, the DNA, the brain cell, the brain of that cancer cell changes into a cell that will reproduce forever. Uh-huh. Um, each individual cell dies, but the whole, it'll divide and keep dividing into a tumor. When that individual cell dies, it releases um, DNA into the bloodstream called cell-free DNA. The change that happens in that, and then that DNA is this process called methylation and methylated DNA is a, is a marker for cancer. So if you see methylated DNA, it's like, Oh, there's, there's cancer somewhere. And five, 10 years ago, there was a test that looked for methylated DNA and it's like, Oh, you got methylated DNA. Good luck uh-huh. <laughs> Good finding your cancer. So then they're like, okay, well, we're, so what this company did is they first First pass, you know, do you have methylated DNA? And now what they can do is they took a bunch of people who had pancreas cancer and, and gallbladder cancer, you know, these different types of cancers and look for very specific DNA fragment tags that were specific to that specific cancer. So a pancreas cancer tag, a gallbladder cancer tag, a colon cancer tag. You know, so then if you have methylated DNA, they look for those specific tags in your bloodstream. And then they tell us, hey, that methylated DNA, it looks like a patient could have a pancreas cancer. Go look uh-huh. at the pancreas. Yeah, amazing. And so we do a scan for the pancreas. And, you know, so this patient that we had, she had a mammogram. Eight months later, she had the gallery test tagged for breast cancer at a early mammogram found cancer ended up um, getting treated for breast cancer four months later what where would that cancer have been because it was mm-hmm. fast enough to grow in eight months um, so where would it have been if she had done her scheduled mammogram four months later so you know the idea is that we're going to not mammograms you know not breast cancers but we're going to find the pancreas cancers the gallbladder yeah. cancers the liver cancers the ones that we're not looking for now before they become cancers that are symptomatic to the point of, oh, no, it's too late. You know, stage three, stage four, we might be able to prolong your life six months, eight months, 12 months with our treatments, but we're not going to be able to cure you. That's the, that's the promise of, of the, the gallery test. Um, so two quick uh, sort of mundane business questions here. What's the sure. name of the company that's developed this test? And are they publicly traded? Uh-huh. Um, and, 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 and also, and on a more serious note, I am interested to know who the company is, but is this a very expensive test that someone like Sean would pay for out of pocket on top of his membership fee? Because I'm sure, I'm sure insurance does not cover that. Yeah, good question. So the company is called Grail, G-R-A-I-L, and they're out of uh, Northern California. Um, uh, the test is called Gallery. They are not publicly traded, although they did apply for an IPO back uh, a year and a half ago. Um, but uh, they've been the IPO uh, market was, brought was back. Yeah, yeah, they got pulled back by the company that spun them off, um, so they're still privately held. Um, it is a an added cost, um, and uh, cost is around a thousand dollars to do the test. Yeah. Um, and you're right that insurance is not yet covering it. And I say not yet because, um, you know, they have to do a bit more research. They have to refine their tool a little bit. Um, but this, this is the future and I believe it will at some point if they can get the cost down, um, and then, you know, get their, their kind of numbers a little tighter in terms of accuracy uh, it'll, it'll be the future. It's just a matter of time, I think. Well, I mean, I look, I'm, I'm speaking from a position of relative privilege, but I can't think of a better way to spend a thousand bucks. I mean, notwithstanding, I'm sure that there are 
you know, uh, non-zero false negatives and false positives, but still a pretty good way to spend a thousand bucks if you're lucky enough to have it. Yeah. Yeah. The the people who have it, um, it being the resources are doing things like this already, right? So many people are doing total body CAT scans or doing, they're they're trying to, they're trying to find things, right? And this one actually has some science behind it, (laughs) unlike some of the other things that people are doing. There's actually some science behind this one. Um, So uh, is there a better way to spend $1,000 for your health? Um, You know, uh, yes. I mean, if if you invest in um, getting maybe an exercise bike, you know, and and get your fitness level... You know, that there's a well, and then the, getting the, on the it, bike, it, buy the bike, and then, the yeah, bike. yeah, 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 you gotta, <laughs> you still gotta get on it, but <laughs> yes, gotta, yeah, uh, but but for, do, are, do you have other questions about this, Chris? I, I got one more. Uh, sorry, yeah, Sean, no, go ahead. I have Will here, and I'm just fucking fascinated. Yeah, yeah. um, this is going to go back a step to data. When you get your gallery test results back for a patient, do you then integrate that data with family history data to say, okay, no surprise that we're seeing something that might point to pancreatic because your dad had pancreatic or something like that. Right. So yes and no. Right. So family history, genetics, um, all of that is just because your parent has cancer doesn't necessarily mean that you have cancer just because there's a gene for, you know, whatever doesn't mean that you're going to get it. So that's, that's the science of, uh, you know, genotype and phenotype. Um, anyway, that data can help inform who you actually offer the test to. Right? Oh, right, right. So we typically <clears throat> offer it to people who are 50 and older because cancer goes up as, you, as you're 50 and older. But if you've got a, a strong family history of cancer, particularly at early ages, you may offer this test earlier. We've got a patient of mine who's in his 20s. He's you've got the BRCA2 gene, which puts him at an increased risk of male breast cancer, but also pancreas cancer and others. He and his family have the resources. They're doing this test now. Yeah. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So the genetics and family history can inform who you offer the test to. That being said, yes, you know, Oh yeah, we expect it, but the, it, it, it's sort of most cancers are random. Like most cancers aren't because of genetics or family history. They're, they're because of a random event, a random shitty event that, excuse my sure. that, that, that triggers this, this unfortunate thing. Right. So it's the randomness that makes this test even more valuable mm. because mm. the 50 year old with no reason is going to, uh, to turn positive. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And I tell people there's a 4% chance that somebody who comes in my office has a cancer that we don't know about. So that means there's about, you know, we have mm. over 700 people in our practice. There's like 20 to 30 patients in our practice who have cancer. I don't know all of them who do. Yeah. And I need to find them. That's my mission is to find those people who have cancer that I don't know about. And the gallery test is one tool to find that mammograms, pap smears, PSAs, all that are other tools. Um, but you know, cancer is, it's going to surpass heart disease as the number one killer. It's just a matter of time because we're getting better at treating heart disease, getting better at preventing mm. strokes and heart attacks. We're doing better at that, but cancer just keeps going like this. Right. And part of it's lifestyle, <clears throat> obesity, inactivity, living in polluted cities. Um, so all of that is increasing the risk of cancer and heart disease. So it's going to become the number one killer. Um, so we just need to do better. We need to do better. That's awesome. Thanks for, for going down that cancer rabbit hole with me. Um, Sean, I'll shut up for a little bit. No, 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 no. I was just going to say, I mean, so let's talk about heart disease. So I, so I have heart disease. I think I have to say now on a form, do I have heart disease? Mm. And one of the processes that we went through was, and, and going back to kind of the developments in technology is, you know, constantly looking at, you know, the makeup of the cholesterol, the calcium, and to the point where Will's like, okay, there's a development going on where we, and correct me, but in layman's terms, we may be able to look at the calcium in the hat and determine what kind it is and right. therefore determine the level of risk 
because arguably it could be good cholesterol that's hardened in my hat. Is that a good right. way to describe it? Maybe, maybe uh, that's the maybe that's bad. the maybe that's the optimist's <laughs> way of describing it. No, so you know your student is a reflection of the teacher, right? <laughs> So <laughs> the fact that you did so terribly on that, like, my explanation. <laughs> oh, okay, never mind. Never mind what I just. No, said. no, we'll, we will not be yeah. cutting that whole that whole episode. So, uh, right. Go on. So, you're, you, yeah, you're you're not too far off, Sean. The um, so if you think what 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 triggers a heart attack, right? What is a heart attack? Uh, so. Every muscle in our body contracts or squeezes because there's blood flow that goes to there to provide oxygen. Oxygen is life. We breathe oxygen. Oxygen is used for energy production. So if we don't have oxygen, we die. If our heart doesn't get oxygen, it stops, right? Where does that oxygen come from? It comes from the arteries, the, the blood vessels, the pipes that bring that oxygen to the muscle of the heart. If we don't have, if we have a blockage in, in that pipe, you know, so if we put our foot on a hose and the flow decreases, what happens? Fine demand issue, right? Our heart needs to squeeze, doesn't get enough oxygen, doesn't get enough blood flow. We have a problem, right? What a heart attack is, is that happens suddenly. You have a blockage, the blockage gets torn or irritated, the blood clot forms on top of it, and boom, we got a stoppage of blood. That's a heart attack. Okay. That blockage, you know, what is that thing? <laughs> what is that plaque? What is that blockage that's in that pipe? Well, it's a makeup of, um, of uh, cholesterol deposits and other fats. And, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a glob of gunk with a cap on top of it to protect it, right? That glob of gunk, you know, of fatty margarine <laughs> crud has this cap on top of it. And if that cap gets exposed to the blood, a blood clot will form on top of it. Right. But if we get that, a calcium cap on top of it, it's actually protected. So calcium is actually a sign of a mature plaque that's mm. less dangerous than an uncalcified plaque. Mm. Okay. So calcium is okay. Uncalcium, you know, non-calcified plaque is more dangerous. How do you know if you have calcified plaque or uncalcified plaque? How do you how do you know that? Like, uh, you know, there's a test called a calcium score that some people can get. You may have heard of that. You check the calcium score, and if your calcium score is high, it means that you've got some plaque somewhere, right? You've got some mature plaque. Actually, that's not the plaque we care about. We actually care about the immature plaque, the soft plaque, the uncalcified plaque. Now, there's a, another company out there, and again, I don't get paid by these people, um, <laughs> called, yeah, <laughs> called yeah. Clearly, um, with two E's. Um, they're based out of uh, New York. Um, and it was founded by a cardiologist that I, I've actually known for over 20 years. Um, and what they can do with their technology is use a CT scan. It's called a coronary calcium, a coronary CT scan, CCTA, um, CT angiogram. They can look at the plaque that's in that angiogram and tell you whether it's calcified or not, whether there's plaque, you know, whether there's calcium on top or whether it's uncalcified. And if you if it's all calcified, like okay, well I'm not at high risk. I'm actually in not a bad spot. On the flip side, if you have a small amount of calcium and a lot of uncalcified plaque, wait a second, we got to do something here. Okay, uh, cholesterol medicine, we need to be aggressive with that. You know, the sugar that's been a little borderline, uh, we we, we got to work on that. You know how you said that? Yeah, you've got the bike, but you don't really get on it very much. <laughs> you got to get your butt uh -huh. on the bike. So it actually informs decision making in a way that we don't, you know, that that actually can motivate men, right? Who yeah. need sometimes they need nudges. They they need 
data. They need facts. They, you know, instead of the risk, now you tell me I have a risk. Actually, here's, here's your number. Here's the percentage of plaque that is not calcified. So this company is, is, you know, it takes a couple steps. You got to do a CT coronary angiogram and then you got to send that CT to them and then they'll do the analysis. Um, and then there's sort of two parts to the payment of that. Hopefully you can get insurance to cover the, um, uh, the uh, CT angiogram and then their piece is, you know, not covered by insurance. That's probably another, you know, 800 to a thousand bucks. Right. Um, but it can really inform, particularly for people who might be on the fence, you know, it's like, yeah, I don't know if I want to do that. Yeah. I don't know if I want to treat that. You know, I, I'm not ready to go on cholesterol medicine. Which is where I am. Cause I, I've decided I don't, at this point, I, I don't want to be on a statin and, and we, we've agreed that that's okay for now. Um, but I mean, having more as you, I mean, as a data geek, Chris, I mean, having more information, I'll take more information over less, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. you know, for sure. And, and will certainly provides that. Yeah. Well, I mean, so this is the second, what sounds like cutting edge uh, data gathering healthcare innovation that you've talked about using. Are you, are you better positioned in your, your current practice than larger practices or hospital systems that you've worked at before? Is there something unique about what you're able to do because of the way you've got your company structured? Well, 100%. Like, who do I ask if I want to look at a test? <laughs> Just look in the mirror. Hey, you want to? Sure. You know, I, I tried to open up this practice inside the institution, intrapreneurship, right? Uh-huh. And it, it was just like, you know, after, I don't know, six to eight months, I was like, all right, <laughs> I'm done. I'm done. Yeah. Um, I just think that, and that's really my mission, right? It's like, there's the traditional healthcare. And it's like, what is going to be standard of care in five years? What is going to be standard of care in five years? That's what I want to do today. Mm-hmm. Right? Mm-hmm. And so trying to be a, a, a head of the game, you know, and, and, you know, it's, me and now I've got four other doctors that are brilliant people that are alongside me sort of hearing about things, thinking about them. And then we'll, we'll vet them. You know, we, we took a lot of time deciding whether we were going to offer gallery to our patients. Mm-hmm. Right. And uh, Sean, you haven't seen a blog post about clearly yet. Right. Right. Um, but no. I've said two out about, about, um, the, the gallery test because I want to make sure it's, it's, I have to vet it still. I have to get a couple people through it and you know, make mm-hmm. sure that this is a, so there's a process that we, we go through. Um, so we're going to do the standard care and we're going to make sure that everybody's you know getting what they should be getting. But then I've really designed the practice to be, um, you know, kind of on the bleeding edge, you know, looking for ways to, to not just, the, so the big three, right. People don't want to die of a heart attack or stroke. They don't want to get cancer and they don't want to become demented. They don't want yeah. their cognitive function. Right. So those are the three big things that I, I'm constantly thinking about. What are innovations? What are ways that we can think about those three things and try and help support our patients. And so, it's awesome. Yeah. And, and just, and just to continue to make it about me. So, so that's why, <laughs> that's why Will said, okay, you know, the last two physicals, your hearing's been a little off, as have you. So maybe you're getting a little demented. Why don't you go see the audiologist and get some hearing aids? Because they're showing now that there's a linkage. <laughs> He's shaking his head. There's I, a linkage between. I did not say it that way. I know you but, didn't. I, you right. Know, if it works. Yes. Um, there's, there's a linkage between hearing loss. And dementia. And it's interesting, Will, there was there was a woman that wrote an op-ed piece in the Tribune a couple of weeks ago talking about her her father, her father-in-law and her grandfather. And the grandfather was a physician. And he's like, I'm going to go get hearing aids and practiced into his 80s. And the father and the father-in-law did not became more isolated, you know, more alone, um, more cranky. And so what it did is it led to not only dementia on both parts, but also to their isolation during the process because they didn't want to engage with other people 
and they didn't want to engage with them only because of the yeah. fact that they couldn't hear, which is yeah. just a sad, I mean, it's just sad. Right. right. Uh, yeah. My mom just, uh, just got, got them and uh, she swore forever. She didn't need them. And the first time we got on the phone with her, her volume was about half of what it normally is because mm-hmm. she, she, before she just thought she had to talk louder, but um, well, I want to personally thank you because this is, I think this is our 13th episode of this podcast for the first 12. I thought that Sean just wasn't listening. But it turns out that he was just having a hard time hearing. <laughs> what, so. an what an ass. <laughs> what an ass. Um, okay, wait. Shut <laughs> up. Okay, so listen, I want to be respectful of your time. We're almost at time. There's one thing we want to do at the end, but maybe I, I can squeeze. Sean, can I squeeze in one more question? Right, absolutely. Of course. I, as, as long as Will has the time, I, yeah, I'm good. Yeah, so maybe we'll do it with six more minutes. One quick question. Um, I was telling Sean earlier that I'm always interested to talk to people about how their adult and professional life informs the way they parent and sort of as a, a doctor and, and a mission driven doctor, no less. Do you think the way, and I know you have three kids, right? I think a son and two daughters, Sean mm-hmm. told me, uh, is nope. two daughters. No, two sons and a daughter. Chris. I, oh, so right. I need fucking hearing aids. Right. Yes, you do. <laughs> I actually, I knew that I just misspoke. It's my mouth. that's malfunctioning, not my ears. Um, uh, or my brain. It's a long day. So, yeah. But is there a relation between your sort of, I wouldn't even call it a career. I may even go as far as call it a vocation as, as a doctor, the way you describe it and the way that you're raising these three kids. Um, interesting question. I mean, I, you know, I don't, I'm not doing it alone. So that's the one thing I've got an amazing partner of almost 30 years and um, you know, I'm I'm lucky that she's a better parent than I am, um, and uh, and so. But I think, you know, I am a person of faith. You know, um, I'm a Christ follower, and I I believe that that infuses in how I run my practice and and um, just you know, just trying to to build his kingdom here, you know, that's, that's part of what I do. And even though my oldest son flat out said, I don't think I'm Catholic anymore, mom and dad. I'm like, okay, he's still a person of, of, um, of spirituality, of, of true of faith, of, of conviction, of values. Um, so I would say that, you know, we're trying to raise children that have an anchor in who they are, what they believe in, um, and that their actions sort of kind of leave, you know, kind of live out through those. And so we, as a practice, you know, have a set of values that, that we believe in, and then we're trying to kind of live those through how we create that, the practice. And, and so, you know, long answer to your question and if I'd had that question beforehand, I probably would have had it more concise. <laughs> <laughs> Sean. Um, uh, but, uh, but I, I think, yeah, I mean, I, I think I'm a, a, you know, vocation, right. I'm a values driven practice and I, you know, I'm a, a values driven parent and we both are. Um, and so, yeah, I think those two kind of, kind of line up pr- pretty nicely, Chris. And I've never thought of it that way, but um, maybe that's why you ask it. It's a great answer. Um, and it makes a lot of sense and I appreciate it. Um, Sean, if you don't have another question, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to pin yeah. well down here for the three. Yeah. Yeah, he's going to, he's going to complain that we didn't give him these questions before too, but I know he is. I know. I'm sure he'll do. I'm sure he'll be fine. <laughs> uh, uh, okay. So this is inside the actor studio style. Three quick questions. will just oh, answer gotcha. them off the cuff. Okay. Uh, first question is what do you wish you could have told your 10 year old self? Be more courageous. What do you hope that people say about you at your wake? He lived his values. You're consistent, if nothing else. That's that's for sure. Uh, a man of values. Uh, last question. Do you have a mantra in life or even a mantra these days? Um. Not really. I mean, I don't have anything um, that pops off the top of my head. So 
you know, if it's a mantra, it's got to go like this, right? So <laughs> that question is, is I, th- I feel like people hear that question and think, shit, I don't have one. I should come up with one now. that's all right that's all right um i tell you well i could talk to you i'm fascinated with this stuff i'm the furthest thing from a doctor it's one of those professions i never could have done um but i respect all y'all um and i really love what you're doing in this business so thank you i love it i love it too and i I appreciate the time talking to you both sean it's good to see you as Um, always and uh and with your clothes on um, <laughs> <yeah>. <laughs> well, I will admit that I was sitting here when we were talking about the prostate test. I'm like, oh, okay. I mean, is, we're going there. But, all right. Because we could get into particulars again if we we're going to make it all about me, but I'm not sure that we really want to do that. Uh, you, you, you broke the hippo when you said that. That, that I was your doctor. So, you know, all the all bets are off. Here, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, awesome. Uh, Great stuff. All right, thanks again, Will, for joining Will, us. Will, thanks for your time. Always good to see you. All right, fellas. Good to see, see you. See you soon. Thanks a lot. Peace. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye. This is Chris. Thanks again for joining us on this episode of If You've Come This Far. And this is Sean. Remember to check us out, mnliving.org.